Welcome to the Monkey Mind Podcast, your number one platform for athletes and mental health. Hosted by myself, Danny Perez. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Monkey Mind Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Danny Perez. I'm sorry, been a little MIA lately and haven't been posting as much recently. Um, kind of got away from the every Tuesdays and then the every other Tuesdays. Been moving around a bit and life's been a little hectic on my end. So um, I guess just to update everybody, I just recently got a coaching job out in Denver, Colorado. So Driving out here and kind of setting everything up, getting an apartment um, was pretty hectic. I was literally in Kansas. Um, don't try this at home, but I was in Kansas with my knees on the wheel, um, sending in my security deposit because I was driving into Colorado that day and didn't have a place to live. So um, <clears throat> I'd like, definitely like to do things last minute. It's kind of how I operate, but I'm trying to get better at that. But yeah, just wanted to update everybody on why I've been a little MIA and why the consistency hasn't been there. But um, yeah, that's enough about me. And today's guest, we have Sam Levins. Um, So Sam is a certified mental performance coach, and she has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada, as well as a master's in sports and exercise psychology from the University of Kentucky. Um, So she's also a former ice and roller hockey player and had the opportunity to represent Team Canada from 2013 to 2018 in roller hockey. Um, she's been on the coaching side for a while now too, um, so she's you know very well versed on having multiple different perspectives in the sport, and now obviously having that mental performance um, you know certificate and uh, that certification, she's now able to help athletes. And I think today's conversation was awesome, and she gives a lot of great insight on her personal experience and working with players now and kind of what she sees. And um, we we kind of went down the rabbit hole here with a bunch of different topics, but. It was a great episode, and I'm really excited to release this to you all. And um, again, thank you all for you know your patience and, and still sticking around. But we're gonna try and get back into regular programming here and, and getting into rhythm. So um, yeah, without further ado, before we get into this episode, we have a couple words from our sponsors. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Shift Group. Shift Group aims to help athletes navigate life after sports within the technology industry by providing support, education and finally setting you up with the various companies they work with so you can hit the ground running. Shift Group is founded by athletes for athletes. They understand the feeling of having to hang up the skates or cleats and want to help athletes make a smooth transition into a competitive, goal-oriented industry that is fueled by the attributes all athletes possess. If you're interested in working with Shift Group to begin a career in tech, then head over to our website, monkeymindathletes.com backslash partners and click work with Shift Group. From there, it will take you to their inquiry page where you can input all your information. Make sure you type in Monkey Mind under the Where Did You Hear About Us section. Then under that, you click Submit, and someone from Shift Group will promptly reach out to you and get you rolling on your new career in tech. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Daily Dose CBD Inc. Daily Dose CBD Inc. creates full-spectrum CBD products ranging from tinctures, bombs, and dog treats. Research has shown that CBD has successful results in aiding in the following areas. Anti-inflammation, anxiety, PTSD, help with breaking addiction, neuroprotection, epilepsy, arthritis, chronic pain, and sleeping disorders. Daily Dose makes an extremely safe and effective product that we know you will love, enjoy, and benefit from. 
Daily Dose has given Monkey Mind listeners 15% off all their orders. Head over to DailyDoseCBDInc.com and use promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off your purchases. That's promo code MONKEYMIND15 for 15% off all your orders at DailyDoseCBDInc.com. Cool. All right. Well, we have Sam Levins on today who's a mental performance coach. Um, briefly about your academic background, a master's degree in exercise psych- psychology from University of Kentucky, a bachelor's degree from Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. Um, you are a certified mental performance coach. Um, association, uh, you're a member of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, Canadian Sports Psychology Association member, and a member of Solution Focus Brief Therapy cert- Certification. And then if you're, for your athletic background, you were a roller hockey player growing up for Team Canada from 2013 to 2018. Then you became a roller hockey coach with Team Canada Development Program from 2017 to 2019, and an ice hockey instructor from 2011 to 2019. And you've been an ice and roller hockey player for 20 plus years. So quite the uh, academic and athletic background there. Yeah, definitely lots going on there. Uh, I'd say like it started with more of the athletic side, obviously. And, um, you know, as an athlete, I definitely had a horrible mental game. I think is the best way I can put it. Um, you know, I wasn't a, a flashy player, didn't have great hands, didn't have a great shot. Um, you know, it was more about the hard work and being funny, being a good teammate, big role player, I'd say. And uh, it, as I got older, people would, you know, I'd tell my friends I had a game and I'd get texts after that were like, how many points did you get? Like, this is not my thing. So yeah. after a little while, it just turned into me thinking like, all right, so if I'm not getting points and like my team's not winning, clearly I'm, I'm not a great hockey player. So that was just the beginning of, uh, of my mental game kind of falling apart and it took a while to, to get out of that. Um, but I think that was kind of the, the beginning of the downfall, uh, of my ice career, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was maybe 17 or 18, I switched from ice to roller full time. And that was at the same time that I was starting my undergrad in psychology. So it was kind of the process of moving towards like a, a high pressure, um, kind of like the political world of ice hockey to the more fun, um, low pressure environment of roller hockey while learning more about the brain and motivation and all that fun stuff. So I think the combination of switching the environment, but still playing a game that I loved and grew up with while having the education piece was the beginning of things starting to piece together for me. And as I learned more about sports psychology, um, and I learned more about you know, hockey and the importance of role players, I started to appreciate the little things that I was good at. Like I, mm. I don't really lose face-offs and I, I really underestimated that uh, growing up. Um, you know, I blocked a lot of shots growing up, but I didn't think it was enough because I couldn't put the puck in the net. So as I got older, as I learned more, I started to appreciate the things that I did well. Mm. And as that confidence came back, um, you know, I, I just started playing better across the board. So I think that's when I started to really trust sports psychology and that's when I saw it become applicable in my own life and uh yeah I think that's probably why I put so much of an emphasis on confidence with the athletes I work with now but yeah that's kind of how I got to where I am today yeah that's super interesting I think that we have very similar stories and I was never point point guy at all more of a locker room guy um but I've always been very nitpicky of myself physically as a player you know what I mean which I feel like you can maybe resonate with that but it's funny that you mentioned that as you study this more and as you've, you know, 
looked into it and, and really kind of given your whole life to the sports performance side of things, you now have this shift of perspective of, oh, well, I was really good at faceoffs or I was really good at blocking shots. And there's those small things that actually make a big difference. But it's not so much that now. It's just how your mentality has shifted from seeing the negatives of you as a player and now seeing what you could bring positively, which will then, you know, enhance your athletic performance. And um, I think that's something that a lot of players don't realize. It's just it's making that shift of not seeing what you don't do, but seeing what you do do, which I'm sure you can, you know, preach on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, you know, my, my skill set didn't change. Like mm-hmm. obviously some things got better. And, and as you continue to work on things, you develop, that's just natural. But, you know, growing up, I wasn't a goal scorer and I was good at blocking shots. And to this day, that's still my skill set. I still can't put the puck in the net mm-hmm. and I still block shots. I still win face-offs. It was just the parts of my game that I appreciated and the parts that I wish I had. So it was like, I, I went from wishing I was a certain kind of player and, and, you know, being really hard on myself that I wasn't that player. And every time I did something that didn't fit into the mold that I wanted to fit into, it was like, it was game over. I was spiraling. Like if I turn over in the first period, like instantly was like, well, I guess I just suck today. Like it's good. It's gonna be a rough one. Like there's mm-hmm. no way I can bounce back for the second and third, which is ridiculous. Like one mistake in the first and that's it for the game. Absolutely ridiculous. Or if I'm on for a goal against my first thought is, well, I, I have to score to make up for it now. Like that's all my fault. I can't be a liability, but I wasn't a goal scorer. Mm-hmm. So I get really frustrated that I was on for a goal against. So defensively I was lacking and offensively I was lacking. And you know, it just, it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> basically everything that I learned in school that athletes should not be doing. Those are the things I was doing everything just generally horrible mental game. But you know, as soon as you stop trying to wish that you were a certain kind of player and you know, you start, you stop trying to kind of fit into the mold and fit into the expectations that you're putting on yourself or others are putting onto you. Mm -hmm. You can actually appreciate what you're doing and really start to grow because, you know, like you said, when you focus on the things that you do well, it's a completely different mentality despite it being the same kind of skill set. Exactly. I'm sure you've heard this before too, but I've said this and I've heard other players say this. Um, so you can tell if you're going to have a good game in warmups, if you have your legs under you and it mm-hmm. just goes back to that one mistake. And you hear players say it too. Like once I start getting into that negative mindset, I'm mush. Like I can't, I can't play the rest of the game. Um, and I think that's a very common theme um, for a lot of athletes, but like you said, it's just absolutely ridiculous that you're going to dictate a whole game off how you feel in warmups. And I'm not saying that everyone does this all the time, but I've heard it before and I've said it before and I'm sure you can say the same. And um, just like going off what you said, I think it's absolutely ridiculous that you're going to go off one mistake or one part of the game to dictate the rest of the two periods that you have left. Um, and obviously we'll talk about this more, but since we already are on it, um, what are some things that you would tell an athlete who maybe presents that to you? Like, Hey, once I make a mistake, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't play the rest of the game. What do you kind of say to them to help them get their mindset back on track and get them into that right frame of mind where they're going to get in a positive, you know, positive mindset and channel that mistake or channel their brain into a, a way that they're going to be better off without it. You know what I mean? I guess just improve from there instead of going down from there. Mm-hmm. Um. There are a few different approaches depending on, you know, the athlete and, you know, I have some athletes who just, they really need the the blunt version. And yeah. sometimes it's really hard to shift from a negative mindset to a positive one. So you kind of have to find the neutral mindset. So they're okay. not like forcing positivity. 
Um, but I think, you know, the first thing I'd say is, all right, so if you score on your first shift and it's like the nicest goal of your career and you play absolutely horrifically for the rest of the game, is that a good game? No, it's not. Because everything except that one shift was bad. Mm-hmm. So on the other side of it, if you make a mistake on your first shift, but then you just bounce back and play well for the rest of the game, like it's a good game. So why are you getting shut down after one play? If you know that play doesn't really impact the next, you know, the next couple periods, the rest of the game, like with, with hockey specifically, your last shift does not directly impact your next one. Like you have other lines. There are other players who go on the ice. Like what you did on your last shift literally does not translate to your next one. Mm -hmm. So much happens between your two shifts. Like there's absolutely no reason to pull mistakes with you. And there's no reason to get cocky either and think like, oh, I was so sick on that last shift. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just getting overconfident now. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. You have to reset. Like, you back to the bench and it's just like a fresh start. It, you cannot rely on what you did on the last shift or, or get mm-hmm. stuck on what you did in the last shift. Like, it, you just have to keep rolling. It's a long game. There are lots of opportunities. There are lots of, you know, there's lots of time for you to make mistakes. There's lots of time for you to do well, but you just have to kind of roll with it. and and find a way to reset and stay on track because one shift does not dictate your entire game. Yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes you're just you're off. Sometimes you have that warm up and like your legs aren't there. They feel heavy and your hands are feeling tight. And sometimes you're just off your game and it happens. Like you might be right. You might make a mistake on your first shift and your second and your third, and it might be a bad game that happens. That's fine. So if that actually is the case and that's the reality and not just you kind of assuming the worst um you know you got to figure out what else you can bring if you're not if you're a you know a goal scorer and you cannot find the back of the net you better do your best to help someone else do that because someone has to for you to win the game so what else can you bring to the table is it you know encouraging your teammates is it just trying to be a passer and setting up your line mates is it playing a defensively sound game is it leadership do you you know, become the locker room guy? Are you encouraging everyone else on the bench? Are you talking to your coaches? Like, are you bringing other things to the table if your role is not going as well as you want it to? So there are lots of opportunities for you to kind of figure out if it's, you know, if it's one bad shift, you can kind of bounce back for the rest of the game. And if it's a bad game, bring something else to the table. Mm -hmm. Because there's no way, like, mentally and physically, there's nothing you can do. That's just not realistic. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's like having your A game and your B game and you can only bring your A game, you know, you want to try and strive for say 70, 75% of the time, but there's going to be that time, that percentage where you're not on your A game. And what is it that you can bring in your B game that'll help you sleep at night and make you feel like you've contributed to the team or you actually did contribute to the team because going off what you said, I think a lot of players are like, if I don't bring this, I have nothing, but that makes you so one dimensional. And then you kind of are useless if you have that mentality so I think it's important, you know, you talking about that and just I want to reiterate that being able to bring something else makes you so valuable and also helps you with your performance and, you know, having you have be an asset to your team and, and to yourself and just being more, you know, instead of, you know, one dimensional, you have a lot of other things you can bring as well. But I think it's a huge, huge thing that a lot of players should learn, you know, at an earlier age. Um, I didn't learn that till I was like 19, 20. And I was like, you got to be able to bring more than just, I don't know. I was just like, we talked about physical and all that, but if you can bring something else, it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. As far as presenting concerns with athletes today, what are some things that you notice? I guess a trend with the athletes that you work with 
that um, a lot of them kind of bring to your attention. Like, hey, I'm struggling with this. Well, you know, what's like the main, I guess, one or two things? Um, confidence, huge one. Uh, I think coaches like to say that players are soft. And I think I like to say that coaches should learn to adapt. Kids might be soft. You know, it might just be a different mentality that we have in this generation. I don't know what it is, but I do know that, you know, if all your players are soft, as you say, then you should probably learn to adjust to that and adapt to that instead of continuing to rip them apart and tell them why they suck. Because players, if you have a team full of players who lack confidence, you're not going to win many games. You're not going to do too well. They're not going to come back the next season. Like there's so much pressure that kids are facing these days. And, and, you know, whether you're in, in youth sports or kind of working up through juniors, the pros, college, whatever it is, like social media is a nightmare. Like you get on after any NHL game, any playoff game lately and there's just guys with targets on their back and they're getting ripped apart. And like a lot of these NHL players just don't go on social media during the playoffs because it's so toxic and people are so hard on them. And of course that wears you down mentally and destroys your confidence. And these youth athletes don't really turn it off. And like, it's not that high pressure situation where they have millions of dollars on the line. It's, you know, the sport that they love and they're supposed to enjoy. So when, you know, teammates or opponents or their coaches or parents are putting so much pressure on them and telling them everything they're doing wrong. They're just so hard on themselves and they're feeling that pressure externally and internally. And it's just, just wearing them down. And Mm -hmm. without that confidence, you know, you're not going to make, you're not, you're not going to take any risks. You're going to start making mistakes, but you're playing it safe. So you're having that like minimal impact kind of game, mm-hmm. but also making mistakes. And like, you, you don't want that. Like you, it, you're going to make mistakes either way. So you might as well take that risk and, and try to have an impactful kind of opportunity, even if you make a mistake, but coaches need to let these athletes make mistakes. They sure. need to encourage them to, to take those risks and to be confident enough when they take that risk on a 50, 50 puck, they don't hesitate for that split second and then lose the battle they know that they can do it and they go. So I think confidence is a huge one. And, um, you know, aside from the the pressures that they're feeling from social media or coaches or whatever it is, um, I think a lot of athletes tend to tie their confidence to stats. Like I, I certainly did. And, and it sucks. It's so tough to, you know, be generally confident when you're tying it to something external and something that's completely out of your control or majorly out of your control. So, you know, if your self-worth and the way you feel about yourself as a person is tied to your performance and your stats and your sport, that's so dangerous. Like if your team is, if you, if your line mates are playing like crap, you're going to have a harder time getting points. So your teammates not playing well means that your stats don't look as good. So you're going to go up to school the next day and be absolutely miserable and you're not going to pay attention or you're going to show up to work or you're just going to be grumpy around your family. Like tying the way you feel about yourself and the way you feel about life generally to the results that you get in your sport is really dangerous. And unfortunately, it's just extremely accessible. Like Everyone talks about stats. Everyone asks about stats. Everyone focuses on that and that's obviously stats are important you know you know you gotta put the puck in the net to win a game or two um but you have to 
figure out how to detach from that and have your confidence tied more so to the process and to the work ethic and to whether or not, you know, you're being a good teammate and respecting refs, even when it's really, really, really hard to do so. So Mm. I think um, tying your confidence to just, you know, who you are as a person and what you know deeply about yourself is uh, really important to, to build that confidence, to be able to take those risks, to be able to develop as a player and grow and learn from those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can really do that when your confidence is, well, when you're lacking confidence, firstly, and also when you're tying that confidence to results and to, to everyone else's opinions. Yeah. No, I like that you talked about process. That's the biggest thing. And it sounds so cliche, just to trust the process, like slogan or whatever, but it really is the truest thing. And <clears throat> like you talked about, I think it's so dangerous just to go off results and statistics, especially now that we're approaching the off season. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, like players, they go on the ice and they're going to get mad when they do a rep wrong or they can't complete a rep correctly. It's like, hold up. Like this is the place to mess up. You know, this is the time to be bad at something and to learn how to be good at it. And this is the process. And as long as you know that you're giving your best effort and you have a good attitude about everything, you should be able to go to sleep at night and, and feel comfortable. Um, so I'm happy that you brought that up. And as far as kind of what you were speaking about, it seems to me like you're big on balance of finding the balance with your social media use and then also finding the balance with your identity as well. And kind of, it's hard to navigate. Um, and I think you'd agree too, but everyone says like, oh, be a hockey player, be a hockey player, which is totally fine, but be a hockey player and have a certain attitude at the rink or at the gym. But then you have to be able to separate because like you mentioned, it's no good when you're taking into your family life or your home life. Um, so I think that's like the biggest thing that I, I hear from you because I struggle with that as well. I think a lot of athletes do is just putting their soul identity into a sport or whatever it is that they love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the most important things that an athlete really needs to understand from a young age and throughout their their entire career is that your sport is something you do. It is not who you are. Your sport's going to come to an end. You will retire someday, whether you're 16 or 36 or 50, when you stop playing sports, it does not matter. At some point, sports are going to be done for you, Mm -hmm. or at least, you know, it's not going to be as competitive. It's just going to be like recreational with, with some of your friends or whatever, but you have to understand who you are as a person. That is the most important thing. Your sport is a part of what you do. It's a part of who you are. It shapes your character and your development and your friendships and your relationships. Yes, it does all those things, but you are so much more than your sport. Like you are a member of your family. You're a member of your community. You're a member of your friend group. You, you know, like for me, yeah, I play hockey. I've always played hockey, but I'm, I'm a nice person. I'm a kind person. I work really hard. I, I love my family. And like all those things are so much more important than hockey. Everything else, like the part of who I am and, and the things that I do and the things that I love and the reason I get out of bed in the morning, like all of that, so much more important than hockey. And I didn't know that at a young age. Everything I did was because I'm a hockey player. You know, I, I would get angry during games and I'd try to be like this like tough guy. And it's like, I I thought that's what I was supposed to do as a hockey player, but I wasn't figuring out who I was because I was so focused on being the person I thought I was supposed to be as a hockey player. So yeah, that identity piece is, it's really difficult. And I think 
you know, with COVID, so many athletes were forced into figuring that out a lot sooner than they intended. You know, a lot of college careers came to an end, high school careers came to an end because of COVID and, and these people were just like, you're stuck. That career ends and you don't know what to do with your life. You don't know where to go next. And it's, it's a huge loss. Like when I stopped playing ice hockey, it was, it was tough. It took a few years to figure out who I wanted to be and the things I was good at when I wasn't at the rink. And it's, it's hard to figure that out. Um, but it is, it's incredibly important to know who you are outside of your sport. Mm-hmm. Would you suggest athletes doing other things prior? We've had athletes come on here and talk about just kind of them making their transition. And they mentioned, you know, when I was playing hockey, all I did was hockey. And all I thought about was hockey, which is totally fine. Because like once hockey was over, I was left with nothing. And I didn't know what else I liked. So would you suggest, and he, and he suggested that athletes try and do other things. And would you suggest that that's, you know, a good thing for athletes to do? I suggest that athletes play sports for as long, other sports for as long as they can until, you know, a certain age, maybe 16, 17, you start to specialize. But um, how important do you think it is for athletes to find other things that they love to do outside of the rink? And I think it, makes them more well-rounded. Would you agree? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I like, I'm a firm believer that, well, I'm a firm believer because my parents forced it upon me as a kid, but okay. the, the ice hockey season ends and I'm not allowed on the ice until about a week before tryouts and, and camps and stuff. No ice over the summer. It, mm. Like I grew up with it. My brother grew up with it and like, we were just fine. Like he's playing pro hockey. Now he played D one, like clearly it didn't impact his game or mine that we were never on the ice during the summer. We played roller hockey. So it was kind of a loophole because it was still hockey, but we were on the ice. So we're still following the rule. And it's, you know, that, that helped. It was, uh, you know, a different environment, a different group of friends. There's, you know, there's no um, kind of major pro end game in roller. So there was no pressure to be the best. There was, you know, there was never any crying after a game. There was never, an angry car ride home with your parents. Like that's just, that's not what roller was. So that was our way to continue being active without feeling the pressure that the hockey season would put on us. Um, And another thing that I think athletes don't really realize, you know, I know a ton of hockey players who play video games. I mean, I have my, my little headset, my PlayStation over there. Like I, I didn't play a ton as a kid, but now it's something that like, it's just, that's how I keep in touch with my friends now. Like mm-hmm. we'll just hop on, play some games. And like, that's how I communicate with my friends. And it's really fun. I really enjoy it. I've also done some research to justify the amount of time that I spend playing nice, video games. There you go. It is, it's good for your attention. Like, that's another thing. Parents and coaches are always like, you got to stop playing video games. It's really bad for you. And like, yes, obviously, if you sit there all night, you don't go to bed. Like, yeah, it's not great for you, but it is really good for communication. It actually is really good for um, your attention. It's good for spatial awareness. So like being able to track multiple different objects at once, any of those like action shooter video games, really good for that. And for a hockey player, pretty important to be able to understand and track where your teammates and opponents are. So there are things that you can do outside of sport that benefit your sport without it feeling like you're training and overworking because like typically you start playing sports because you want to, and you Mm -hmm. continue because you love it and it's fun and maybe you're good at it. But as soon as it turns into like a chore and a job and Mm -hmm. something that's exhausting and tiring, that's when it, you know, it isn't fun and you start heading on that downhill spiral. So 
doing things outside of sport and finding that balance is so important, but it doesn't necessarily take away from your game. Like you're not missing out on training that other people are getting. You're getting it in a different way. Like you're Mm -hmm. training your, your communication and your focus and your attention and being able to track those objects by playing Fortnite and Call of Duty and all that. And, you know, you're working on your vision and your hands by playing roller hockey and hand-eye coordination if you're playing baseball all summer. Or you're just kind of stimulating your mind if you're just, you know, sitting outside and reading and that's your hobby for the summer. Like, it doesn't really matter what it is. Just take time away from the rink. And that also helps you stay motivated when you get back to it. You get a chance to miss it and to want it and to find that drive for it and that motivation. So that was a very long winded way to answer your question. No, but yeah, I appreciate you need other stuff. No. And that's why I think burnout is so real. Um, There's so many players who burn out who are unreal hockey players or unreal athletes in general, no matter what sport it is, but you just get tired of it. Um, So I think it's important that we reiterate and definitely not long winded. It was the perfect explanation. So thank you. But um, it, but I think it, it drives home that point that, um, diversify what you do. You still be all in on something, but still have other hobbies and they do help. Um, and I want to talk about the trends that you notice with some elite athletes, kind of the things that separate the best of the best from just the average player and what a player can do or an athlete can do in whatever sport to help them become elite and be get to that elite status. Because I think you can testify that there's a lot of players who are very good, but don't have that extra oomph, I guess, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. to make it. But I think that there's something within our mind that a mindset that you have or things that we do um, that really catapult us to being elite, um, despite our physical traits that we have been given. Um, And I was curious what you noticed from, you know, athletes that, you know, make them, you know, kind of separate them. Mm -hmm. I think there are a few different pieces of that um I think having an accurate perception of your own game is incredibly important um too often we find ourselves as athletes being incredibly hard on ourselves and sometimes that kind of skews our perception and a game that might have been you know not our best but not bad we just rip ourselves apart and Mm. uh you know we're, we're really hard on ourselves when we don't have to be and I think a lot of players in in the pros and as you as they get better and you start to um, really see the difference between the good, the great, and, you know, the, the McDavid's, mm-hmm. I, I think having that understanding of what your game actually is and kind of pulling out the emotion and separating that from the facts and, and the evidence, like having that accurate understanding of your game is how you can figure out what's going well and what isn't very quickly and very accurately. And that's obviously really important when you have a really loaded schedule and you're really busy and it's like back to back to back nights you have to be able to, to figure it out quickly. You don't really have a few days to kind of look back and watch video and, you know, determine if you really were having a bad game or if you were just kind of grumpy and it seemed like it was really bad. So having that accurate understanding is incredibly important. Um, and I think being able to bounce back from, from mistakes and bounce back from not great shifts or, or a bad game, I think that is huge. Um, consistency is so underrated I think I think everyone kind of underestimates the importance of it but it in my mind is one of the most important things um, that, that a player can bring so instead of having a player who has 
hot streaks and slumps, like, yeah, those streaks might be unbelievable and they're absolutely deadly, but then those slumps, like they're completely invisible or mm-hmm. non-invisible and they're just a liability out there. Um, and that's, that makes it hard for coaches and it makes it hard for your teammates because your teammates don't know what to expect from you. Your coaches don't know the situations they can put you in because they don't know which version of you is showing up. Mm-hmm. So developing that consistency with, you know, consistent preparation and uh, working on your mindset so that you can bring the same intensity and the same effort and the same resilience to every game, whether you're playing the top team or the worst team, you're tired or like whatever it's going on. Like if you can bring that same game and bring that consistency, you can trust yourself. Your teammates can trust you and your coaches can trust you. So I'll, I'll go back on my example. Like when I try to be a goal scorer, I'm a liability. I make really stupid plays. I try to force plays. I turn over pucks and I don't trust myself. I'm sure my teammates don't. And I know my coaches don't, but I know with certainty that with, you know, if if we're up by a goal with 30 seconds to go and the faceoffs in our end, I know my coaches are probably putting me out there. I know my defensive knows it's going to the corner and I know it's going to the corner. I know I'm winning that faceoff. I trust it. My teammates do, my coaches do because every time I go out for a faceoff, I have that confidence. I've prepared for it. I, you know, I'm bringing that intensity. I know I can handle a high pressure situation and I don't care who I'm up against. I don't care the situation. I don't care about anything other than my ability to do it. Like, it's just, I guess that's also part of the understanding that your game accurately, but you know, all the pieces kind of go together, but there's, there's a lot that separate the, the good from the great, but I think to kind of sum that up, try to remember everything I said accurate understanding of your game consistency uh-huh. and I think something else and bouncing back from mistakes yeah I'd agree with that all oh, I mean obviously you're the expert in it but I agree <laughs> just from, just some self-reflection being like yeah I probably could be more consistent yeah I probably could have you know not beating myself up for mistakes and you know I probably would have been better off in a couple different areas but no I I totally agree with you on everything I think those are awesome points um <clears throat> and then kind of a two-part question here. Um, talk about your approach when you're working with athletes. So an athlete, you know, comes to you and says, Hey, I would like to utilize, you know, your services and I want to work with you and I want to, you know, help improve my mental game. Um, kind of what's your approach to working with athletes and some of the tools that you f- have found working with your athletes, most useful to them. Um, things that you tell them to do to help them with their mental game. I don't know whether it's breath work or self-talk, whatever approaches that you use, um, so yeah, like just kind of how you approach an athlete and, and helping them, um, with their mental development and also some of the tools that you have found most useful with the athletes that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm currently working for a company called CEP mindset and as a company, our approach, we start with, um, kind of a, a mental toughness, mental skills assessment. Uh, so we measure, uh, leadership, discipline, um, Oh gosh, this is bad. I should know this focus, composure, (laughs) resilience, confidence, and your ability to stay centered. So like concentration, kind of blocking out the noise and the distractions. Um, So so we'll give you the benefit of the doubt. I know. I I only kind of hesitated on the one. I'm proud of myself for that. That's good. All right. I got to send this to my boss. That's impressive. Yeah, exactly. Look at what I know. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, you Um, should know this. Yeah. Yeah. You'll be like, that's, that's good. You're doing your job. Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. That's encouraging. 
Um, yeah, so we, uh, we have our athletes fill in this assessment and then we just kind of walk through the, the results with them and, and figure out what our prior priorities would be. Um, in my experience, confidence is typically a big one and, um, composure is another huge one, being able to perform under pressure and then resilience would probably be, uh, also in that top three, um, you know, just that ability to overcome adversity and, and bounce back from those mistakes and deal with it when a coach decides to rip you apart for something that wasn't even your fault, which is a huge one mm. and very frustrating, but yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, from, from there, we just kind of work with the athletes one-on-one to, uh, to work through those, uh, those priorities and those skills. But I think my absolute favorite strategy that we use is called the alter ego. Um, and it's, it kind of stems from um, Todd Herman's book. I think it's called The Alter Ego. And essentially this, we just, you know, talk to the athlete about describing their best self and their worst self. So it's kind of like their, their Superman versus their Clark Kent. I know there was an athlete who was like, as their worst self, they were like Dory from Finding Nemo, just kind of bumbling around, mm-hmm. not doing so well versus being a shark and being in that attack mode. So uh, we kind of walk through the, the thoughts and the feelings and the actions and the arousal level that these athletes experience in as both their, their worst self and their best self. And by creating those distinctions and creating complete identities and kind of naming those two separate versions of yourself, it brings so much more self-awareness to it. And, you know, a lot of athletes don't realize that when they tense up, you know, they're gripping their stick a little bit tighter or they sit down on the bench and they're shaking their legs a little bit. Like you don't really notice those little things that you do because they're just kind of automatic responses. So by developing that self-awareness and understanding those two versions of yourself, once it becomes game time and those not so great things happen, you're like, okay, I'm not being a great version of myself right now. I'm aware of that now what are the things I have to strive to do? So we have a bunch of different strategies that we use to kind of like activate that best self when we aren't being that person um, and to kind of bounce back from mistakes and prepare to show up as that person, a bunch of different things. But I think at the core of that, the alter ego is so important just so you have an understanding of the person that you are trying to not be and the person that you're trying to kind of work away from and also having that person you're striving to be more like that you know, best version of yourself. So the version of yourself who's really hard on yourself and overly critical and overthinking and underperforming, you know, and taking out on teammates or refs or opponents or talking back to a coach or just completely shutting down and becoming really quiet versus the best version of yourself who's just having a good time Mm -hmm. and focusing on the things that they can control and showing up to games happy and, you know, leaving their frustrations at the rink after a game instead of taking it home. You know, there's, you find these versions of yourself. You find those little nuances, the things that tell you who you're showing up as, who you're leaving the rink as. And um, I found that that's one of the most helpful tools that I've, I've used so far with athletes. Just that self-reflection and that finding that alter ego and finding both your, like, the two parts of yourself. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that these are things that aren't really talked about. Um, I'm happy that you bring this on. This bring this up. There's a bit of a new topic. Um, I think they're very taboo 
to talk about like no one's like I'm a hockey player or I'm a football player like what does this have to do with my performance but if you reflect and look back and see like when you are at your best self and when you're not I feel you can tell what kind of mode that you're in you know like you are Mm -hmm. in that attack mode or when you're not that great you are in that dory mode like you talked about um yeah they're very underrated things that I think you're bringing up and I'm happy that you are because they're so unathletically related, but we are people first before we're an athlete. And I think if we can channel who we are as a person and individual, and then, Hey, I got to bring this for this event. I got to bring this for this scenario that I'm approaching. You are able to know yourself better and and you're able to self-reflect and realize, okay, I got to bring this here. And then when something, you know, it's, it goes back to when something doesn't, you know, go right. Okay. Go back to who I am, go back to, you know, it's just one mistake and, and flush it out. It's just all very interpersonal skills that you have with yourself that I think can really benefit. And like, like I mentioned, they're not talked about. And I'm so happy that you are bringing it up because it's, it's very new. And I don't want a lot of people to be like, oh, what's this have to do with it? But it does help. Yeah. And I think a huge part of figuring out those identities is also understanding when they come out. Like you said, you know, if you are your best self until your coach rips you a new one after you make a mistake, and then you become your worst self and you completely shut down. Like, mm. obviously that relates to performance. Like when you think about it, if you figure out that every time your coach rips you apart, you start repeating those things that the coach says in your head over and over again, and you try to overcompensate and you're overanalyzing, you're overthinking, and then you're playing horribly. If you know that's going to happen, there are things you can do proactively to you know lessen the impact that the coach has on you and to kind of filter through what your coach is saying to pull out the pieces that are valuable knowledge that you can bring to improve your next shift and the things that you just need to say this is my way this is the way that my coach is communicating it is not a reflection of me as a person mm-hmm. like there are things you can do proactively to prepare yourself for a situation when your coach yells at you and then it may not shut you down as much And there are strategies that you can do if it does shut you down to kind of get you back in the game. So yeah, maybe the alter ego doesn't seem like something that directly impacts your performance just at face value. But when you think about it for like literally half a second, it does. It really does influence your performance because you understand your performance. It's not just showing up at the rink, playing and going home. There's so much more to hockey than that. There's so much more sports than just showing up, playing and leaving. Um, and I think, I think the elite of the elite are well aware of that. I think there's a reason that McKinnon and McDavid and, you know, guys at that caliber, like the Crosby's of the world, Ovechkin, those guys show up consistently. Mm -hmm. Like when they have a bad game, you don't really notice because it's not actually a bad game. It's just like a couple of mistakes here and there or opportunities that they may have scored or, or opportunities that they may have capitalized on in their best games but they're not liabilities they don't shut down they don't change the way they're playing they show up and they bring it every game with like without hesitation like McKinnon has now had I think it was the first round he said we should be able to win a game when we score six goals like yeah probably but you didn't and then again they score six goals and they lose. And I'm sure he's getting pretty frustrated by that as anyone would be. Like if my team scores six goals and we lose, I'm probably pretty frustrated. That sucks. Mm-hmm. But 
I'm sure he understands that, you know, that's, that's just the way it is. What can he do? Mm-hmm. He, he's not going to go in net. They're not going to miraculously, you know, just start shutting out some of these offensive powerhouse teams. Like it is what it is. So he just has to keep doing his job and he has to keep showing up and he has to keep working hard and being a leader and doing everything that he can that's within his control, despite mm-hmm. all the frustrations that might be coming with every game, every practice, every off day, whatever it is, it's all about doing what you can do. And I feel like I kind of went on a tangent there and went very much off track, but no, bring it back in. We're back. No, but it makes sense again. Um, it's important that you, you're going in and giving context. So I appreciate it. And I know the listeners do too, but um, yeah, it makes sense. Just controlling what you can control. And like you talked about with the alter ego, you can be a shark up until your coach yells at you, then you're Dory. And then it's like, okay, we'll get back to the shark. That's what the greats do. That's what McKinnon does. You think he's not getting yelled at? And I mean, maybe not in the bench, but I'm sure he's getting ripped in video sessions from time to time. And is he just immediately shut down? No, he just goes back to his process, back to what he can control and back to his alter ego at the rank of being that shark, you know? So I think it's, mm-hmm. it's awesome what you're saying. It makes a ton of sense. So definitely appreciate it. And um don't want to take up too much of your time. Just have one last question for you. Like to just a little way I like to end each episode. And we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but just I guess three pieces of advice that you would give a young athlete um, on their way up. And you know they have big goals of of making their professional league in whatever sport they're in, um, or maybe it's something that you would have liked to have told your younger self. Um, what are some some things that you would have you, know, you you I guess words of advice you would give to a young athlete or your younger self? Let's say. Okay. Oh, so much. Uh, Loaded question. I know I didn't actually. Yeah, that's a huge that one. one. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for throwing that on you, but here we are. That's all right. All right. Let's see what I can do. Um, I'll start with, you know, your sport is something you do. It's not who you are. Huge one. Stand by that. Um, don't compare your day one to someone else's day 100. That one is something that I'm still kind of learning. So there are people in the field that I look up to and I'm like, God, I wish I was at that level. And it's like, "Mm, they're also like 10, 15 years older than me. I could be there soon, Mm -hmm. but like, I really, I just need to to reel it back in and and start appreciating where I am now and the context that I'm in and, you know, only being out of school for a year now, um, you know, I'm doing perfectly fine. I'm doing fine. But when I compare myself, to the people who are years older than me with completely different experiences and different pathways. Like it can be discouraging, but you cannot compare your day one to someone else's day 100. You're at different places. You just have to, to be understanding of that. Um, what else? Be kind to yourself. And it's kind of um, expected, but we don't really, I think just generally people don't do that enough. I think we are hard on ourselves because we expect a lot of ourselves and we think we're supposed to be critical. And yes, of course, like you want to be self-critical in in a way that is helpful and aids your growth and development, but you also need to be your biggest fan. You need to cheer yourself on and, and support yourself and give yourself praise. Like, uh, you know, I, I think so many people are like, yeah, setting goals is great you achieve your goal and then you set the next one, you'd achieve that. And like, you just keep going. And it's like, there needs to be a little pause in the middle. Like, yes, you finish something and you achieve it. You get there and you're like, all right, what's next? Let's keep going. Let's keep rolling. But there needs to be that moment where you're like, you kind of look back and you're like, look at how far I've come. 
Like, Mm -hmm. this is unreal. Look at me go. Okay. Now we can go to the next one, but you have to have that moment of appreciation and um, kindness for yourself. And on the days where, you know, you're not getting 1% better or whatever that cliche is like rest, sleep, do what you need to do, eat, be unhealthy food, watch Netflix instead of reading a book. Like who cares? This is your life. And like, if, if watching Netflix makes you happier than reading books, fine, do that. Like there's so much going on in the world. There's so many pressures and expectations put on by other people that like, you just, you need to be good to yourself despite what other people might, might think. I think Mm -hmm. uh, self-compassion and and kindness towards oneself is really important and, and often overlooked, but um, yeah, I would definitely tell younger Sam to, to be a lot nicer to herself. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I couldn't agree more. I think those three things are awesome. I think a lot of athletes should listen to that message and really start to, to do these things. I, I definitely agree that it's great to be critical, but also look at, look at where, where you're at and look how far you've come, whoever you are listening, just take some time to, to give yourself a pat on the back and then, then hit the ground rolling again and keep working. But those are three awesome things. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and, and all the things that you said are going to be super beneficial to all the athletes out there, people out there listening. Um, I think this was a fantastic episode and I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing this information and sharing your time with us. Um, and if you can please give a shout out uh, to your social media platform, um, whatever you have, and uh, that way people can get in touch with you or follow you. You have a lot of great content on your Instagram. So if you can just give yourself a quick shout out and uh, people can follow you there. Yeah, for sure. So my, uh, my Instagram is samlevins.mp and my Twitter is, oh gosh, I should know this, samlevins1t because I used to think I could take one timers, but uh, <laughs> jokes, jokes on me because I sucked at those. One, <laughs> like the my, number <laughs> one or the... the number one. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was convinced that I was just, I was Stamco, Sovechkin, top yeah. of the circle. I was convinced I could do it. Uh, that was in, I made my Twitter in my phase of not understanding the kind of player I was. So that's that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a, you know, that's a great, that's a great tool to go back and reflect and see, Hey, look how far I've come now. I know I recognize that's not me and I, you know, but it's always a yeah. gentle reminder. Yeah. My um, sister keeps telling me to change it. And I keep saying it's too late. <laughs> it's staying forever. Exactly. This. I love it. Yeah. But thank you so much for having me today. It's been, it's been a really good conversation.